Today's episode is sponsored by Root, Restoring Our Own Through Transformation. Root is a collective of concerned Black families, community members, advocates, and interdisciplinary professionals dedicated to decreasing Black maternal and infant mortality in Ohio. Root's mission is to comprehensively restore our collective well-being through collaboration, resource allocation, research, and re-empowerment in order to meet the needs of Black parents and families. If you and your family are planning, pregnant, or in your postpartum period, please reach out to Root at www.rootrj.org. Financial assistance is available. You can also connect with Root at 614-398-1766 or email them at general-info at rootrj.org. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Ashley Grant. She is a wife and mother of two boys, ages five and two. She's a minister, author, public speaker, and podcast host. Ashley is excited to share her unique birth stories from a traumatic yet beautiful cesarean birth to a courageous feedback. Hello, Ashley. Welcome to the show. Hi, Danny. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Full disclosure for our listeners, Ashley is my sister in love, as well as a doula client. And she's going to be sharing her births of full. I'm going to be unbiased, right? So because I've been thinking about um, <laughs> being on the podcast with you guys, like, how do I tell this story? And I think Ashley, can you start it off was a story a or has been a um, story of honestly fear to triumph because uh although I wanted to have a natural birth so with what my with Joshua um I had set out with this birth plan you know we all have these birth plans and my first it was my second pregnancy but my first um birth and I had my birth plan and I'm like I want to have a natural birth you know I want to do this because this is what this is how our bodies are made and this is basically how um, I know that I'm able and capable to do this, right? But going along with that narrative, I realized after um, I, I had the birth that the main reason why I wanted to have a natural birth the first time was because I had a lot of fear. Um, I never had any surgeries. I never had anything break. Um, very afraid of needles. And so anything that was going to point to that type of uh, journey for me, um, I didn't want any parts of it. And so although natural sounded um, just as <laughs> as intense, um, it was without needles. It was without any type of intervention. And so with um, that first birth and pregnancy, I didn't um, realize that until hindsight kind of being 2020. But as I went on through that journey um, is when I was able to be like, okay, there's something else here and something else present. And I even didn't even know how to really describe that. So we went along with the birth plan. Uh, Danielle helped me a lot with that as my doula and as my sister, which I believe was such an intricate part of um, the storyline, period. Um, I, I'm 
very much an advocate um, for having a birth doula. But the fact that I had, you know, my sister in love to be that for me was like a double win um, because of just the dynamics of the the time uh, that we went through. And so I'll share a little bit about that story. So with Joshua, um, like I said, it was my, my second pregnancy. And I think I, um, I probably ate everything under the sun, right? Uh, you kind of award yourself with that. Like, I'm pregnant. I can do whatever I wanted to do. And um, I kind of did that, which um, I definitely wouldn't do again. But I did that. <laughs> and just going through and hearing the different things that doctors were saying and nurses were saying as I was developing him, um, having that that doula to actually ask me, like, how do you feel? You know, how are you processing? Are you processing um, to actually step back? out of the medical arena and actually get me in tune with um, my own heart and my own my own thoughts, my own mind, my own will and my own emotions was um, very um, big for me and something I did not know that I needed. And so um, because there were on the doctor's reports, you know, they have you have, you know, your my chart and they have all of your info that you're pulling in and then they're not saying things like forthright, but then you read it and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm morbidly obese, you know, just things like that. And to have Danielle as my doula to be like, okay, these are words. Yes, we need to work on these things. Yes, there's different um, avenues that we can take, but um, you are not another number. You're not another um just another person that's having a child. You are your individual person. You are human. You are um, mother and you matter. And so that alone um, helped me on my journey because I was very nervous because I was overweight. And so that was one of the things that I was thinking like, well, maybe I won't be able to have a natural birth because of that. So um, I don't know, Danielle, you can jump in and kind of guide me. Um, and just ask me some questions if you want. But, yeah, I'm just thinking about that um, that journey alone. So when you guys were planning that first pregnancy, was there anything that you actually did to prepare for the birth? Um, and was that something that you were thinking about in advance? So the ways in which I tried to prepare, I think um, having Joshua and, and both of my children showed me that you can prepare as much as you want, but when it comes to the the showtime, it's different. So the way that I tried to prepare definitely with Joshua was by reading books. Of course, I think I overly read um, read books and read journals, and and honestly, I think the resources that I did have, which were good, were also. Um, overwhelming for me um, because as a first time mom, you want to kind of absorb everything, but you also want to know how to, um, what's for you. And I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know what was actually for me and for my birth journey. And so pulling from different people's um, journeys it, it was kind of overwhelming. And so we did have, you know, I did have that time of preparation and um, I did a lot of time of meditating and just asking God, like, what, you know, what is this going to look like? Uh, but like I said, when, once we got into the place of labor and delivery, everything just kind of one by one, just, just went off of the, um, 
the sheet. I was just checking off my birth list and watching it fly away right before my eyes, uh, moment by moment. That's so common, though. That's that's a, a very common thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Plenty of people go into birth and they get all the things that they wanted. But I think that most people will say that they, you know, let things go. Um, you know, that surrender piece of like, okay, this isn't going to happen like that. Or, you know, this one thing can go if that means X, Y, and Z is going to happen. Now, of course, some things are not about you, right? About what you did. Sometimes it's about what the people around you are doing and people in your um, environment. That's why we talk about so much on this show, like who are we inviting to the party, right? Um, This birthday party that we're planning. Tell us about your actual birth experience with Joshua. Um, Okay, so the birth experience with Joshua was, I would honestly say one for the books. I don't know. Um, I've only been a part of a couple of births, so I don't know, but one for my books. And (laughs) uh, just traditionally, going a traditional route, my family typically um, is the type of family that wants to be involved. And so I went that that route of what I've seen with my siblings, you know, have mom, have friends, you know, just kind of have everybody in the room expecting and waiting, you know, for the baby and knowing that that support team and system actually helps you to, um, can help you to basically have a better birth experience, or at least that's what I thought. And so I went about that way and I found out shortly after that, that wasn't really the best thing for me, even though it was something that has been, um, had been a blueprint for our family in particular. That wasn't how I needed to go about my birth. And so um, I just think about the day I was induced because the doctors were saying that I was um, over overdue, I guess. I think I was 40, 41 weeks pregnant. And so they had already scheduled me to have a, um, what is it, to come in to be induced with Pitocin. And so that happened. It was like six o'clock in the morning after I was in the, the room, got my Pitocin going, got me prepped and once and again remember I had the idea of having a natural birth no intervention so I was a little nervous about the Pitocin because I'm like what I've heard about Pitocin is that it gives you kind of kicks you into labor and your contractions could be on top of one another and so I was a little bit nervous about that and so once they had the Pitocin um I was doing good my labor started to naturally or with supplement kick in and I think it was at the time where the nurses probably couldn't hear the heartbeat with the heart monitors being on the outside um, of my stomach. And they wanted to, or they did, they um, inserted the heart monitors um, up my vagina and uh, so that they can hear the heartbeat. And at that point, that's when I became so uncomfortable um, in the in the process of laboring, I felt like there was just that, that intervention, it kind of took me in a different direction because now I'm focusing on this pain that was not there prior to them inserting the monitors. And I remember just being really irritated and frustrated because of that, along with, you know, trying to, um, 
navigate the room, right? Uh, Danielle did a really good job. It just let me know like, hey, this is about you. This is about you and the baby. You don't have to entertain anybody, you know, because it's just naturally as women, as um, yeah, as women, I feel like we just have these things where we have to engage everybody. And this was not the time. And Danielle did a really good job at, um, man, here I am getting teary eyed already. Just did a really good job at helping me navigate those waters because there's things that you, you think in those moments that, okay, I can let my guard down. Okay. I won't be trying to do, um, all of these things to engage the room, but naturally so you do it. And so naturally, so trying to engage the room, trying to tell people how I'm feeling because people are asking and you feel obligated to say, you know, this is this hurts or, oh, I'm okay," or, you know, this is uncomfortable and going through that and then also feeling the pain of the contractions along with the the monitors. I remember just being to the point where I'm like, yo, if y'all can take these monitors out, I think that I would have a little bit better of experience because I was still wanting to hold on to my birth plan and having a natural birth. But at the way that that pain was coming with that, the contractions, and I felt like the best way, um, I remember telling Danielle, like, it feels like a tampon is in the wrong way. Like, that's the best way I can explain it. Like, something is not right. This is not positioned right. And if y'all could just take this out, I think this will go smoother. But because I didn't know uh, my own voice, I think I was still developing my voice um, in that moment. I didn't know to what extent I can, you know, oppose things. I just kind of let it let it do what it had, what needed to be done. And in that moment, I remember um, Danielle was like, so... You know, we can step out the room. I can have everybody step out the room and we can, you know, you and your husband talk about having um, an epidural because the pain was just, it was just uneasy. And so with that, we, um, we did that. We took her advice and I decided, okay, I'm gonna have this epidural. Now, mind you, I do not like needles. I had never had to have a needle outside of probably getting a tetanus shot or getting my blood drawn up until that point. And to the idea of having a needle in my spine was just not, um, was not calming to me. It did not, um, was not, I was not enthusiastic about that. And so once we made the decision to do that, um, that's when all of my nerves just start kicking in. Uh, it was just not a good time for me. And I was trying to figure out how the heck am I going to find my peace have a child in the midst of me now coming face to face with one of my one of my biggest fears. And so, but we did it and the anesthesiologist was very good. We we got the epidural in and then realized, come to realize that it only took on part of my body. So I'm still feeling the the contractions and the un, uneasiness with everything. And then at that point, you know, everybody's back in the room. I realized that, man, like it was good just having me and my husband in the room at the time. And of course, wanting Danielle there with us because she just brought this extra, just, just extra piece in the knowledge and the advocacy that she had. And so we got everybody back in the room and then baby's heart dropped. <laughs> and when his heart dropped to zero, 
and at the time I didn't know that this was something that could be possibly normal. Um, his heart dropped to zero. In comes all the nurses and the doctors. Like I say, like Oompa Loompas, because I literally was laying there and it was like all of these people just came swarming in around my um, around my bed. Nobody's talking to me. Nobody's saying anything to me. The alarm is going off that indicated that the baby's heart rate, you know, had dropped. And now everything is just intense and we got to move fast. So that happened. And when that happened, of course, I was nervous because I didn't know what was going on. My husband was nervous. He didn't know what was going on. And so they decided to um, basically take the Pitocin down. It was at a 10. So they decided, let's take it down and let's see how that works. And they took it down to zero and they started over. Um, at zero and they were going to modulate up to one and two as they could. But as soon as they took it up to one, his heart dropped again. And so it was obvious that, you know, in that time of me um, in labor, that baby wasn't responding well to the epidural and the Pitocin. And so at that time, the upper, the, what I want to say, the opportunity for to have a cesarean section was on the table. And in that moment, not I was it wasn't just the decisions of me and my husband. It felt like, you know, other people in the room had their own opinions. And they yeah, I'm sure she remembers this moment. Um, just had their own opinions and their own fears and anxieties about birth, um, particularly their births, um, were starting to be projected into the room and on me. And so I remember just having a moment of just breaking down because I felt like if I didn't make the decision that was right for the room or people that were in the room, then I was failing them. But also if I didn't make the decision that was right for me, then I would be failing, you know, myself and my birth plan and also my child. So it just was a very intense a very intense time, honestly. Um, and such the, one of the most vulnerable moments that I've had ever experienced in my life, because here I am having a child and I have no idea what I'm doing. All I'm thinking is you got to come out one way or the next, whether you come out through my vagina, you come out through my stomach, through a cesarean, you got to come out kid. And so we got to make do what was going to be made do. And I, I got a decision to make. And so that just turned out to be where I'm like super upset, crying. Um, Honestly, we had to kick everybody out the room. And one person I ended up having to get security to actually keep them out of that that ward of the hospital um, so that I wouldn't have any more interferences. Because at that point, I was like, my emotions were unstable. And so... Yeah, that um, that led basically to my husband and I, again, making the decision to have a cesarean, um, a cesarean section and which, although I was fearful of it, it ended up being the best, the best situation for us because it put us back into the playing field of just he and I and baby and what's best and me being able to focus in on what was going on rather than all of the emotions and all of the tension um, of every other person in the room. So yeah, it was, um, and I could talk more about that, the the cesarean itself. Um, But yeah, that was basically up until that point, that was my, my story and my journey. Now, being a person that was in the room for most of this, um, 
when we think about what happens to the body for someone that may have had some type of trauma in their childhood or any part of their lives where their bodies were involved, right? And so mm -hmm. what happens is you're often having these like disassociative type of experiences with your body. And when pregnancy brings up so much of that trauma because being with a person to get pregnant, like having sex is a choice. Choosing to have a child is a choice. There's something about giving birth and this experience with your body that's in your control, but not in your control. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people kind of disconnect during that time, especially during labor, because there's so many other voices in the space, right? Um, and I remember just how you were in that time, right? And I'm like, she can't block out this physical experience, right? Like all these different things that she can't really control right now. Mm -hmm. So maybe if she wants to get an epidural, right, that will help with that part. And then you can kind of focus more on that, you know, that thought process and what's going to be next, which I feel like you did once you really, you know, like you said, you got the room cleared, you were able to just sit there and talk to between you and your husband and kind of really pull that in together. Do you feel like that was your experience or do you think that that's not connected at all for you? Um, honestly, I don't know. And if that was connected now, as far as trauma, being in labor was new. It was a new experience. I didn't know what to expect, but, um, I think you helped me make, make, um, or bring clarity to a situation concerning my body shutting down and like how there was basically no way that Joshua was going to be able to come through that birth canal because I wasn't willing to let him go. And having that control um, is something that probably aided in that because in the moment I felt, okay, I'm going through all of this. Y'all, you know, these people are getting on my nerves. I'm frustrated, but I have to protect this child. And so that, although so much was out of my control, that was one thing that I was able to control. Um, and so I guess, yeah, I think I would say now how all of it played a part. I know I'm not really sure, but I, I definitely believe um, that it all kind of intertwined. And what was it like for you in that, like, either immediate postpartum or just coming home after you had your actual um, surgical birth? And we can go into the surgical birth if you want to talk about that, too. It's your experience. Okay. Yeah, I can I can talk about the surgical birth because of, I think that part is important because knowing how to advocate for ourselves as women. And I could make it really brief, but... So I had mentioned that my epidural had only took on one part of my body. And I kept um, I kept saying that and mentioning that. But for some reason, I felt that no one was listening. Right. And and so it wasn't until I went in to have the cesarean. We, You know, my husband put on his clothes and he willed us down to have the emergency C-section. And they were prepping again to basically cut cut me open. And in this process, you have a um, 
in this process, you have where they're doing a tester to make sure that your body is numb um, all the way across. And I kept telling them, I said, hey, I can still feel on, I think it was maybe the left side of my body. And they're just like, not, they're like, no, you'll be fine. I'm like, no, I can still have that epidural didn't take. And so when they laid me down and they start doing the test, she, um, the doctor gets kind of scraped on the right side. She's like, do you feel anything? I'm like, no, as soon as she touched me on the left side, I screamed and she's like, Oh, you can feel that? I'm like, yes, I've been telling you all for the past, <laughs> you know, however, half an hour that I, that the epidural did not take. And so they immediately set me up and because they had already been prepped, I don't know, um, because, you know, surgical preparation, it's very time sensitive because they had already done all of that. They set me up and they put the, the med- the medication back into the same part of my spine that they did for the epidural. And typically they're supposed to have you sit up for 15 minutes and then, um, so that the, the medicine can go through your body. But they had, because they were so time sensitive, they gave me the medicine and then they laid me right down. And at at that point, my whole body was numb, like literally all the way up into my head. And in that moment, I honestly thought that I was not going to make it because I'm like this, nobody explained this. And so, I mean, I literally watched videos on cesareans because I wanted to know, like, if I have to do this, what is this going to be like? What is going to be like traumatizing? Yes. I traumatized myself before I even went in to um, do it, but I did it because for me and how I, um, process things. I knew that I was going to need to know exactly what it's going, what I'm in for. So my whole body was numb all the way up to my head. And I remember saying to my husband, I'm like, I'm going to need you to sing and pray because if I don't make it out of here, I need to just, I need to go in peace and just make sure you take care of my son, you know, our son. And that was a very real sentiment. And he began to pray um, for me while I was on the operating table. And before I knew it, we were done. Um, I'm crying. The doctors, you know, everybody in there had, you know, had an experience because my husband is a worship leader. And so he's singing and everybody was just, there was such a peace that came in the room. And then before I know it, you know, Joshua was out. So, um, and I knew from that moment that, going forward, this is how it's going to have to be. (laughs) It's going to have to be me and my husband and, um, our doula. And that, that was just going to have to be the story. I could never go through anything like that again, but overall I say the, it was a traumatic, but, um, a traumatic experience, but it was beautiful because in the midst of all of that, it was never about the people in the room and, or it was never about, even, um, you know, having the control over Joshua's birth, I feel like God really wanted to show me that he's with me in whatever way that I have this birth. Um, and though I was afraid, almost deathly afraid to have a C-section, he showed me that he was with me even in the C-section and that fear that I had automatically just, um, basically I surpassed. So that was definitely 
um, it is just a very memorable, of course, all of our pregnancies and births are going to be memorable, but the story turned out a lot better than um, I could imagine. It is. And that, and that, that you had a sense of control, even in the decision, right? It wasn't like he was showing some signs, but they weren't like, we've got to do this right now, or he won't make it. It was, you know, you had time to think about it. And that was important. Um, And how was postpartum with your pregnancy with Joshua? Honestly, Danielle, I don't really even remember. Um, I think the parts that I can remember would be just the anxiety um, that I experienced during postpartum. I had I mean, major anxiety about sleep, about how to, it mainly was about sleep because you you have your doctors and they're telling you, you know, our first doctor's appointment postpartum, which was like a week later, they had my husband and I sit in a room and watch a story about SIDS and children who died from SIDS. And, you know, that was just, I, and I could not, understand what in the world, you know, I know the, what I want to say, the need to share those things, but I just, as a week postpartum, that was a bit much for me. And so I dealt with a lot of anxiety in postpartum. I feel like, um, recovery, recovery wasn't bad. I think my recovery from my vaginal birth was a lot worse than recovering from my C-section, but I think that's the the main things that I remember is just really having a lot of anxiety and so losing sleep. I would just be up, you know, you go through the thing or checking to see if the child is breathing and, you know, finger under the nose, all of that. But it was just so, so high strung. It was just over the top. And I I just hated that part of, of my journey in postpartum. And I fought for my next child, just the fight. I fought to not have that same narrative. We can all say as a parent, no matter how old your kids are, you still kind of check, like, let a toddler be sleep for more than two hours. You're still going to go in there like, is everything okay? So tell us about your pregnancy, your second pregnancy. Second pregnancy, Simeon. Um, so my pregnancy with Simeon was polar opposite, honestly. So I guess I forgot to mention, since I had the miscarriage before Joshua, even my first, honestly, my first six months was just um, very traumatizing because I was always looking to see if there was like blood going to be in my, um, in the tissue when I wiped and that went on for the entire uh, first trimester. And so I feel like a lot of that was robbed from a lot of the good experience and the joyous experience from my first birth was robbed from my unprocessed and unhealed, honestly, um, emotions from the miscarriage and not knowing that I was going to be triggered by that that second pregnancy. So with Simeon, it was totally different. Um, I was in a different mind space um, overall. Of course, I had grown um, over the over the three year period, but also um, just maturing in how I process my emotions and how I actually um, 
unpackage things that I needed to deal with. And then just my eating habits, everything were just different. And so I was just in a different, a different space. And so when we found out we were pregnant with Simeon, um, all of the symptoms that I didn't have with my first child I had with him. And so I was sick the entire pregnancy, but, um, I carried for me, I feel like I carried a lot better because I was more um, cautious of my eating habits and just my diet and what I was going to allow myself to do as far as eating and what I wasn't, what things I was willing to bend on and things that I wasn't willing to bend on. And so by the time I was nine months pregnant with him and and having, you know, just going through, even with Danielle, I feel like we all had grown like um, from that time of being in the room in 2016 to being in the room in 2020, even um, the knowledge I felt like I was telling um, my husband, because of course, you know, every time we were pregnant, we're like, okay, so what do you want to do as far as a doula? Do you want to have one? You know, I always try to involve him in the conversation. He's like, uh, yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, who do you want? You know, he's like, uh, my sis, like, there's never going to be anybody. You don't have to ever ask me again. <laughs> just never going to be anybody in a room except Danielle. And so I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, um, but so that time around, Danielle, you had so much more experience and I feel like you were able to draw things out of me even earlier on in that pregnancy than, um, than what we did with Joshua and you, the questions. I remember just the questions in the beginning of how I was processing and how did I feel about the last pregnancy? I was just like, okay, this is a lot, but I need this. And I feel like it helped me, um, be able to go through my, um, my my trimesters um, with journal points to actually um, reflect on as I was um, just going through the pregnancy. And that helped a whole lot. Like I said, that when I figured, when she told me or when you told me, Danielle, about just the triggers and the trauma and how it locks you up. And, you know, you were very vocal about, hey, <laughs> Nobody forgot what happened the first pregnancy. I know you didn't. You don't have to talk about it, but you need to deal with it. You need to take some time and some space to actually process that else. It's going to carry itself into the into the birthing room. And so that really, um, you challenged me a lot and I needed that so that I could be able to have the the birth experience that I wanted. And again, this time I'm like, okay, we're going to go for a natural birth, not because I'm fearful of a cesarean section. I don't want, I don't want to get a C-section again, but I also want to allow my body to naturally do what it has to do with fear, not being attached to it. And so we, we was on that journey, you know, we were on that journey of doing that. And, um, Danielle walked me through it. Um, like a pro. And, um, so it was just, everything was just different even up until like just knowing my body, I knew my body a lot more and I was a lot more aware of things going on than I was with my first pregnancy. And so up until, um, I think what, till the day I was about to deliver, it was just, I knew that he was coming, not based on 
the doctor's due date. I knew that he was coming based on how my body was transitioning. And Danielle, of course, she gave me like a, um, what's that? A transition sheet and just helped me to kind of process those things. She had me looking over what our bodies do, um, in the process of, um, labor and opening up and all of those things. And I remember I was, um, we were eating a meal, my husband and my, my son, we were eating. And the whole time, and I don't eat ramen noodles. And I tried to have ramen noodles one time when I was pregnant with Simi and I, and I threw up. And so I don't know why I thought at trimester three before, you know, a few days, I'm thinking before I'm giving birth, I can have ramen noodles. But something in me, I don't know, I ate some, <laughs> I ate some ramen noodles. And that's not necessarily my food of choice. And it was then, not even seconds after I finished my meal, I ended up just vomiting. Like, I could not stop uncontrollably until it kicked me into labor. My water broke because <laughs> I was uh, throwing up so much and my water ended up breaking. And then within the hour, I think, maybe, Danny, I, of course, I called Danielle. Um, and within the hour, I think my contractions just start picking up. And then she was over there before I knew it. And then it was just go time. <laughs> and so Danielle, we, you know, we had already established like, oh, of course, now we, we're in COVID. We're in COVID. It was 2020, March. Um, we got the, the, the world got shut down March 13th, the day after my birthday. And so uh, Simeon was due somewhere. I think it was, I can't remember if he was doing March or April. I think he was doing April. Um, according to the doctors, but he ended up um, coming March 29th. And so we had to now navigate those waters of what that's going to look like. You only could have one support person in there. And I did not include or wasn't going to try to include my doula. And I knew from the get go, we're going to have to, if we got to bust through these windows and get her in there, I'm not doing this without Danielle because my husband, bless his heart, he slept through the whole process and you don't know, he doesn't really work well in that. So I knew that if I was going to have a natural birth, Danielle was going to have to be there. So I think what, what was it like the week after we had the baby is when they shut down all the doulas not being able to come. And I was like, you know, feel bad for those women. But I was like, God, I know you did that for me because there was no way that I was going to go through this process um, without Danielle. And so yeah, we, we kicked in and we, we had to figure out like, so she was asking me, when do you think you want to go? Do you want to go when your contractions are this close? Do you want to go when they're, you know, uh, five minutes apart or 10 minutes apart? And we ended up going at two minutes apart, but I felt so safe at home. Um, and I knew that we had in our birth plan, we wanted, I wanted to labor at home as much as I, as I possibly could. And so, um, we did that and it was, it was cool. It was intense. And then um, I remember the contractions being like two minutes apart. And I'm thinking like, oh, I, I'm clearly about to push this baby out. And we get to the doctor's office and I was only like four, it was like four centimeters, but I was like 75% of face. And Danielle, I remember discouragement, like trying to gripped me very hard because with Joshua, that was the same thing. I was four centimeters dilated, but I was probably only like 50% of face. But that was like for three weeks before I went in with Joshua to have to get induced. And so when 
they told me I was feeling these contractions and I was feeling like I felt like I was transitioning according to what I had known and what I had studied. And when the, the, the nurse told me that I was four centimeters, I was like, oh, come on. I'm going to have to go ahead. I'm, I'm going to have to get an epidural and this ain't going to work. Cause the pain was so like, it was, it was like the pressure was so much. And I remember Danielle looking at me like, Ashley, you're four centimeters. Okay. But look, you're, you're, you're further than you were with Joshua. You're 75% or 90%. I couldn't remember if it's 75 or 90% of face. And she reaffirmed that I could do what we had put out in our birth plan. And so when I heard her say, like, you know, you're not at the same place. And then by the time we went from triage to my room, I think I had went from four centimeters to six centimeters dilated. And I knew that just even that scenario showed me that if Danielle wasn't there, um, if they wouldn't have let her come in, I would not have had that um that affirmation in that moment and even that encouragement to say, okay, I know what it looks like, but it's not the same thing. Cause to me, I didn't care what you were saying. All I heard was four centimeters and that was the same that was my last child. And I feel like I'm stuck. So that was kind of the mentality of, Oh my goodness, all of this. And I'm still at four centimeters. There must be something wrong with my cervix. And that, that was basically the, just the end all. But I remember getting in the room and it, and I'm like, oh, this pain, this is like, this pressure is real. And, you know, they they had offered me, I was like, I don't want to have the epidural. And they were like, well, we can give you something, I don't know what it was, something in my IV that would take the pain off and maybe I, and I couldn't be able to sleep. And that was a lie. The lie detector detected that that was a lie. There was no sleeping happening. And whatever they gave me had worn off in like 15 minutes. And um, it was cool because I was so caught up in how quickly I went from four to six. And then before I knew it, I was from six to 10. And um, it was just that moment of relief. And I remember sitting up because the doctor was like, well, well, my midwife was like, well, we're about to have a baby. And I was, I just set up. I remember just sitting up and I'm like, oh, I don't really know how to push, you know, because she was like, you're going to push. And then I just pushed him out with one big push. And I remember, I think she was like, wait, wait, wait. But he was already out. And I'm like, oh, well, I didn't know. Because I, all I was thinking like, oh, this is this is go time. We're about to have this baby. I didn't think about no breathing techniques. I didn't think about anything. I was just thinking, Danielle told me to fall into it and, and release. And I fell into it and released. And that baby fell out. So... That um, that experience oh, right, on out. <laughs> right on out, and that experience was just a lot different, you know, with Joshua because Joshua was just so it was the the two differences was clearly like being able to natural natural birth was a state of mind for me. It was like the natural experience in total that basically culminated in me having a natural birth rather. Everything about my first birth seemed very um, involved with other people. It wasn't just me and my body. It was what the doctors want, what the nurses want, what everybody in the room wanted. And so it was kind of, um, it was very unnatural from the beginning. So, yeah, it was just a speedy from the time I went, um, left my house to the time I went to the hospital. 
I think we left the house around maybe 12, 12 o'clock in the morning. And I had Simeon at like four, one, two, four, three, forty-five. I think it was 3.45. I think that's how it went. 3.45, yeah. At 3.45 in the morning. And so it was just a very quick, un, um, what I want to say, like, just no no interference type thing. And so I, um, yeah, that was the, the birth that I was looking for. And I was just glad that I was able to... Um, to experience that and also to do it again with the same, clearly the same people, the same team, and to see us thrive um, in something that we were looking to accomplish. That's awesome. I remember um, it was a big difference. In, and even in me as a doula, like you said, like this is, you got me on this second one, like over 20 births in. And <laughs> I've been at three trainings. I started working with Root. So you went with Root when we did our, um, for your set third pregnancy. Um, I apologize. I missed that earlier. I didn't, I keep saying second, but it's your third. So we're going to honor and remember that little one as well. Um, but just navigating pregnancy in a different way for, for this one was a lot, was a lot of that mental background, uh, which is something that's really important when people want to be back. It's, it's doing the, you know, the nutrition checks and doing the, you know, making sure hydrating, you get, you're moving your body around. When you said, um, after you got your cervical check and you were at four for this, um, labor and how your mind reverted back, like there's something wrong with my body, right? You're feeling like you're stuck and you're in that moment. Like, I think a lot of people feel like that, especially when they go in for a VBAC, those moments of um, when you need to actually, you know, kind of self-talk, kind of some of that self-talk that's going on where you need someone to help you bring, pull you out of that. Or if you have to pull yourself out of it, because it's easy to go down in that rabbit hole and end up not being able to have the VBAC you wanted because you, you know, didn't stay in that mindset that you had. You mentioned earlier that it was harder after your vaginal birth in terms of healing. So what was postpartum like for you after you've had this VBAC? So I couldn't hear you when you started talking about your healing from, and you said Jared was, wasn't really believing it was as bad as it was. Yes. So my husband was not <laughs> believing that it was as bad as I I was saying that it was, but it was. It was like, I think I was saying I was experiencing a pain that I didn't experience in um, delivery because while I was laboring, I was feeling like a really heavy pressure, but it wasn't pain. Cause I remember asking a lady about the medicine she gave me. She's like, well, it's not going to take what well, she was saying. It's not going to take the pressure away, but it will take the pain away. And I was like, well, I was talking about the epidural because I asked her about the epidural on even a second. And she And I was like, well, if it's not going to take this pressure away, then I don't need it because I'm not really feeling pain. I'm feeling this pressure. And so with that bowel movement, I was feeling this pain that I didn't want to experience. And I'm like, while I'm doing that, I remember coming to a resolve in my heart while I'm on the toilet in postpartum, like, okay, we came, we saw, we conquered, you know, I, I'll be okay if I don't have another vaginal birth, <laughs> we can go ahead and just um, have a cesarean section because this pain is for the birds. And so, um, 
I think differently now, but that was definitely a resolve that I had in my heart. Cause I just was like, why is this hurting so bad? Um, and also just on the, the ends of like mental health, I, um, was a lot better this time around with Simeon. I had went through, even while I was pregnant with him, I think I was about six or seven months pregnant with him when I was going through some inner healing and deliverance from anxiety. And so once I had him in postpartum, um, my postpartum experience was a lot different. I got a lot more rest. Um, and with both of them. Okay. So I think I had a, I had a issue with, with nursing both of my children. Um, and I think most of the depression that I even, um, experienced was with Simeon trying to try to nurse him and not, I was okay if I needed to formula feed, but when I found out that I wasn't able to formula feed him because he wasn't able to take any of the formula, the pressure was trying to, you know, feel like I had to around the clock, um, pump. Like if I'm not nursing then I need to be pumping. And, and I basically was feeling like, okay, well, this is going to be my, my time. This is going to be, um, what this is going to look like. And this is very depressing. And so I had to make the conscious decision to start looking for, um, donor milk, um, during that time, because I was still in such a sensitive and vulnerable place, um, with postpartum and not knowing how my hormones were, um, were going to balance back out. It was just, um, so I didn't deal with the anxiety, but I dealt with the, just the dark, just the depression of feeling like I can't do this and I'm not, I'm not the suitable, you know, the suitable mother as far as nursing that my child needs. And so that was really hard. Um, so it's almost as if I, um, exchanged, exchanged the, the, um, mental battles. So it wasn't, this time it was more of the depression than it was anxiety, but we got over it. Um, once I made the decision and stop again, stop listening to people and stop, um, leaning into every other resource when I just, you know, reflected and talked to God about it. It's like, what, you know, what at the end of the day, what is this proving or what is this, um, accomplishing in you? And I, just got a real strong piece to be able to get him donor milk. And I felt like I got my life back. I felt like it's when I say life back, I felt like I gained those days um, back that I was spending so frustrated and under pressure trying to pump or nurse. I was able to enjoy my son um, instead of the only time I'm holding him. I'm dang near crying <laughs> because it's not working. The milk is not working. It's not milking the way it's supposed to. So, yeah, that was postpartum round two. Well, you were hard on yourself about lactation. You were hard on yourself. You were. I mean, I know. I'm one to talk. Because when you see people, no, because you see people doing it and you're like, well, why can't I do it? Right. And it gets frustrating. And it's like, 
this is supposed to be all these natural things that your body is supposed to do. And it just does not always work that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we are imperfect beings and yes, there's, you know, some stuff out there that's in, in you know, changes how our bodies work properly on this earth. Right. Even yeah. though we were intended to do certain things. Um, but you won't toot your horn, but I will, because I know that Ashley was going to the ends of the earth to get breast milk for her child. Once she fully, ex, you know, surrendered to using donor milk, you built some beautiful relationships, mm -hmm. um, literally traveling, traveling around, you know, the tri-state area. Right. With, with get, gaining support from other women that just saw you. And I think that one, black people do not use other people's milk enough. Let's just say it, right? We will one, fight about breastfeeding in general, about even wanting to do it. And then when we decide to do it, if there's a challenge, then we do go back to formula because we do not, we can't bring ourselves to do that, right? Yeah. So for the people out there that are thinking like, ooh, could I possibly do donor milk? Like, yes. You can, you can yeah. decide what's okay with you, right? If this is something that you need to be able to pay for and what that resource looks like, or if it's something that people are literally freely giving, right? Because there are so many people that have oversupply that yeah. are wanting to stand, step in the gap, right? And that's just a community of women that just showed up for you. Yeah. And I just remember that like, man, I've never had to do something like that. And you were bold, right? Mm-hmm. You saw, you asked for it, and it was re you received, and your son is healthy. Yeah, and he's here, and he's here. Yeah, and Eating I everything now. <laughs> <laughs> and I went on for a year. I was able to get donor milk a start um, from two months all the way up until thirteen months. So that was definitely a journey I was not prepared for, but it worked. It was one of those things that worked, and. Um, I'll probably keep trying, you know, next, next children we have, we're going to just, you know, going to keep trying, but I'm not going to stress myself out. Um, you know, if it doesn't work, but that was, um, that was his postpartum or my postpartum journey on that end. Um, and then, you know, of course, doctors intervene, intervening and, you know, telling me that, you know, Josh Simeon was underweight and, you know, it was almost as if I was under this scrutiny of like, if you if he doesn't gain this amount of weight within the next day or so, then like I was going to be in jail or something. It was just very weird. And I'm like, what is this? Like, it was just an unhealthy pressure um, that I wasn't that I didn't experience with Joshua because he was, you know, I breastfed him for five months, but he also was supplemented with with formula. So on top of you know, listening to the people, the resources that you were able to give me, but then also having to, or feeling like I had to go to the doctor to check in every week. Um, it was just so, you know, it was just so much pressure. But again, like I said, um, being in relationship with you and, you know, you just telling me certain things like, you know, you don't have to let them do that. You know, that it is your right. Um, you know, when they say I'm going to, um, break your water, they, you, they don't, they don't have the right to do that. And so you taught me how to put everything back in my court rather than them telling me what I'm going to do with my body. And so I think that that was uh, very helpful. Um, but on the postpartum end, I didn't, 
I didn't necessarily exercise those rights because I only put those in the mindset of labor delivery and, you know, being in the transition. So, um, but now I I make different decisions (laughs) as it pertains to doctors and their intervention. Absolutely. A motherhood journey can just, it, it grows you, it grows you up, right? Yeah. Um, not just the children, you are becoming this new thing, right? And each child even creates a new, a new person in you. So I'm thankful you shared. Do you have anything else that you want to share with our listeners, whether it be resources or advice or anything else from your birth that we might've missed? Uh, resources, since we talked about, uh, the breast milk, what helped me along my journey was the group of women that supported me. And this was in Ohio. I don't know what that looks like for other states, but the um, human milk for human babies, um, I found that group on Facebook. And I think it might have been um, another doula within Roots that may have um, given me that information, but, or um, someone along the line, but that Facebook group really helps me. And that's where I was able to build those relationships to get milk to supply for Simeon for, um, the year that we needed it. So if anyone is looking for that type of information, there are people out there because I tried milk banks and different things, but it just wasn't the best fit for my family. And so, I think that's a good opportunity, um, even if it's just a small supply. Um, or for me, I was able to build relationships with women that were consistently giving to Simeon um, every every month. And that worked very well for us. And then I think that's about it, though. I think um, I shared as much. I think the spiritual and the natural journey um, as it came my way. So hopefully it's encouraging and you know, we could just hear a lot more birth stories in color. And because we did mention that you are a podcaster, where can our listeners find you? Awesome. So I'm on Spotify right now. My podcast is called Planted and it is on Spotify. If there is, there are also opportunities to listen on, I think it's called Anchor. Um, Anchor. And that is the podcast um, platform. So either one of those. Thank you, Ashley. You're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Root, restoring our own through transformation. Root is a collective of concerned Black families, community members, advocates, and interdisciplinary professionals dedicated to decreasing Black maternal and infant mortality in Ohio. Root's mission is to comprehensively restore our collective well-being through collaboration, resource allocation, research, and re-empowerment in order to meet the needs of Black parents and families. If you and your family are planning, pregnant, or in your postpartum period, please reach out to Root at www.rootrj.org. Financial assistance is available. You can also connect with Root at 614-398-1766 or email them at general-info at rootrj.org.